0: Welcome to the Stoic Handbook Podcast. This is John Brooks speaking. First of all, I just want to say thank you so much for being a member of the Stoic Handbook community and taking the time out of your day to listen to my podcast, read my newsletter, and put the ideas to practice to level up your practical wisdom. If you're a fan of my work and you want to support the show, you can sign up to the premium version of the Stoic Handbook Podcast. You can either do this directly from within Apple Podcasts or you can go on stoichandbook.supercast.com. When you sign up to Stoic Handbook Premium, you'll get access to my existing library of Stoic meditation and contemplation courses. I make each course about a specific emotional topic, like negative thinking or anxiety, relationships, anger, etc. As well as workshops, exclusive Ask Me Anything sessions, and ad-free standard episodes. There's a seven-day free trial, so you can check it out, see if it's good for you. I'm always adding new content and I take a lot of time to craft my courses, to make them as high quality as can be. One of the listeners of the Stoic Handbook Premium told me that they listened to my anxiety course over 50 times. People often like to go through them over and over again. So like I said, you can check it out, see if it's a good fit for you. It's this podcast, plus a bunch of premium episodes, meditations, talks, workshops, etc. And I also open up the space for questions as well. If you wanna talk to me and get me to record a podcast episode on a specific topic for you, that's what Stoic Handbook Premium is there for. Now let's go into today's episode.
1: Today,
0: I get to speak to someone I've, really wanted to speak to you for quite a while, Dr. Aziz. Dr. Aziz wrote a book called Not Nice. And it's a book all about social confidence, assertiveness, not approval-seeking, not being in reaction to other people, um, setting boundaries, saying no, standing up for yourself. I'm actually quite an agreeable person and nice. (laughs) And a book like this was incredibly useful for me to speak up for myself and um, get the things that I wanted in a way that wasn't win-lose, but win-win. Win because I didn't feel like I was losing my soul by sacrificing everything I wanted. And win for the other person because I was simply being authentic. And who doesn't like authentic people? So I have read Dr. Aziz's book not nice. I listened to the audiobook and I, I dipped into the actual book too. I recommended it to a bunch of people and I was really pleased that he agreed to be on the podcast. So this is our interview. We go into a lot of things: shadow work, um, the pitfalls of being too assertive, how to find balance, how to escape the prison of politeness, and much, much more. This is a short-ish listen. It's 45 minutes but it's very packed and uh it contains a lot of useful ideas so if you are someone who is typically nice and sometimes feels like you get walked over or that you don't get the respect that you think you deserve or you end up you know getting the short straw in different kind of negotiations this podcast will 100% help you with that so without further ado here is Dr Aziz So if a couple of years ago, I did a personality test on the big five personality traits and I found that I had very high agreeableness. Mm -hmm. And, uh, what I, what I saw was that agreeable people tend to make less money in the workplace overall. And, um, I had quite low assertiveness. So I set out to try and correct this. And that's how I found your book on Amazon. It was like ranked number one, I think in, um, confidence and assertiveness. So I got. Yeah, I got the Kindle and the audiobook. I mostly listen to the audiobook. You do a really good job of narrating that. I always love finding when the authors actually narrate the book. So that was really good to listen to. Oh, thank um, you.
1: I appreciate that. It sounds like it was uh, f- speaking to something that was exactly what you wanted to shift in your life. Yeah, yeah.
0: I was actively looking for it. And I'd read books before on assertiveness, but this was the first book that I felt like, huh, this guy actually, like, gets me, gets it. Mm-hmm. Um, c- I can relate, and uh, he he know, kind of knows what I'm going through as a, as a nice guy.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, a lot of the books out there uh, are pretty technique-heavy and mm. a little bit of psychology. Like, don't think about it this way, just think about it this other way. But, <laughs> you know, when we have uh, 15, 20, 40 years of childhood programming and then living our lives from that programming – uh, it's not just about a simple tactic change. It's really about, a looking under the hood and saying, what, where did I learn this stuff and how do I fundamentally change it so that I can, so that I can just use that technique or speak up in this way? Yeah, exactly.
0: So I, I kind of got the book thinking like, oh, I wonder if there are any cool techniques, but what I got was so much more. It was like almost like a complete br- blueprint for transforming the way I, I act in the world and the way I am. So, um. Yeah, I just wanted to say that before we begin. Um, but on the topic of of this book, I wanna ask you about the title. So the title of the book, that the main title is Not Nice, and then the subtitle is Stop People-Pleasing, Staying Silent and Feeling Guilty and Start Speaking Up Saying No, Asking Boldly and Unapologetically Being Yourself. So you could have called your book anything uh, related to assertiveness or confidence or social anxiety, but you focus on on not nice. So what does the word nice mean to you? And why did you see niceness as such an impediment to confidence?
1: Yeah, I love that question. Uh, So when I was going to start writing the book, I remember I was with my my wife and one of our friends in the kitchen of our house. And I was just formulating this idea. And the idea is that, you know, we generally nice maybe is a good word. It, It means kind or generous or thoughtful and and polite and yet what i'd seen uh in many many clients and and definitely myself in my own journey was that there was this cost to niceness and that oftentimes when when people are saying i should be nice or i need to be nice here what they really meant was to inhibit themselves to withhold something to say or do whatever they needed to or avoid whatever they needed to 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 keep the peace to not upset anybody, to not have anyone be uncomfortable in any way, including themselves. And what that led to is what might seem like, you know, nice uh, pro-social thing, but ultimately led to degrading of relationships, frustration, uh, not being able to get what we wanted and, and health you know, meet our needs in healthy ways, uh, as well as feeling more and more resentful. And, and so that was a pattern I was noticing. So I was sitting there in the kitchen with my wife and, and friend, and I said, let me ask you guys a question. When you hear nice, like somebody is nice, hmm. is that a good thing or a bad thing? And I kind of gave it as a two option thing, right? Just a and uh, my my friend was like, oh, I think that's a good thing. You know, I think it means they're kind or whatever. And my wife smiled and she said, you know, I used to think that was a good thing until I talked to you about it. <laughs> and uh, then, you know, you gave me all these other ideas. And I think now that nice is really about um, being, being polite or being inauthentic. And right when she said that, that's when, you know, part of the okay, this isn't just about assertiveness. This is about authenticity. This is about being yourself. And and nice is actually an impediment, is a block to being ourselves.
0: Mm, yeah. Yeah, that's a great answer. It's funny how uh, your wife recognized that uh being nice is not necessarily a good thing. Uh I'm I consider myself a reformed nice guy, and for a long time I was focusing on like just trying to be kind. And then as I started to learn, I, I could see that there was a shadow of me almost like using kindness as a, as a way to get my needs in a weak way, you know, as opposed to actually like stating what I wanted. I was kind of like kind to people, hoping for stuff back and then getting resentful. And I know you have a, a formula for resentfulness in, in, in your book, um, which I, which I really like. It's, it's, um, could, do you, do you remember what that is? The formula for resentment in the book?
1: This is a pop quiz. Let's see here. I believe <laughs> I believe the formula for resentment is when we give more. So sometimes people think, well, if you give a lot, um, yeah. then you might feel resentful. But it's actually giving plus feeling like you don't have a choice, like you mm-hmm. have to give. So sometimes, I mean, you can give a ton. People will give more to others than they would for themselves. People will give to their children like crazy and, and they could love it. They could feel mm. like, yeah, I want to, you know, invest all this money in my child so they go to school and get education. And I'm going to work hard to do that. And they feel really fulfilled and proud of that. The issue is when, okay, I need to give a lot of something or even just a little bit of something. And I don't want to, but mm. I have to. And that leads to resentment every time. Mm-hmm.
0: Gotcha. Yeah. So before we get into some of the concepts from the book, I would like to get a little bit more background on the series of events that led you to writing it.
1: Yeah, I love that. So I personally, you said a reformed or recovered nice guy. I absolutely relate to that. That was just part of my own journey. And what's fascinating about that is... uh, Sometimes it's easy to frame into the past tense, right? Like I, I was this nice guy and now, now I'm not. And mm. what I've found is that it's a never-ending process. Just like more, you know, more boldness, more authenticity, more unapologetically being ourselves, it that goes our whole lives because we're constantly changing and growing, and there's always another edge to to explore. Um, however, there is like a set point that you can get to where you're not just so appeasing uh, pleasing all the time that does feel a lot more free and powerful. Uh, but my journey back when I was in my you know teens and in my twenties was I was extremely nice and that really blocked my relationships. And then I learned some of these key concepts that I teach in the book about boundaries, about being able to ask for what I want. And I started to apply that stuff and it really opened doors for me. I mean, it shifted me from basically never being able to have a lasting romantic relationship to ultimately getting together with uh, candace who's now my wife and and really forming something beautiful there and doing things that you know were seemed very counterintuitive to me like say no about something or express when something's bothering me you know things that just seemed some, someone who has a healthy understanding of relationships uh that sounds like no big deal but for me that seemed like every one of those was a, a major risk this is going to be the beginning of the end if i say something here Mm. So I just was growing a ton in that uh, regard and, and becoming more and more authentic. And then in my work with clients, I started to be teaching and sharing more and more about that and seeing how it worked for them. And then it became pretty clear. And I'd already written a book called the solution to social anxiety. And I was working with a lot of people with social anxiety. And um, then I was working on another book called the art of extraordinary confidence. And during that book, I said, you know what, the next book I, I have to write is about niceness. And then I just, it was, I love how this happens in life. Like the next 20 clients I worked with in a row were all hundred percent focused on this issue. It was like (laughs) the universe was like, oh, you, okay, if you're going to help the world with this, here you go. And so, so many story after story in the book and situate, and then testing out material and the exercises and, and really getting a sense of, okay, what I'm going to put in this book is actually going to work because it wasn't just me. It's tested with all these people real time. And uh, I, I feel so fortunate to um, have that as a gift, to be able to work with and then share with the world.
0: Mm. So in my journey in sort of growing in this area, your book was, was a major sort of thing that helped me along the path. In your own journey, are, were there any specific incidences or things you read or events you attended that really helped you a lot? Any, any inciting moments?
1: Sure. I mean, I'd say the two uh significant experiences one was being involved in a men's group uh in my 20s and Hmm. i was the youngest guy in the group and i was drawn to it because i was uh, training as a therapist at that or finishing up my training as a therapist but mainly i was drawn to it because i couldn't sustain romantic relationships and i didn't understand why I i knew when i was younger it was all about shyness like i just couldn't speak up i had a lot of social anxiety especially with women but then when I overcame that and I could talk to women, I could date women, I had women that would be interested in me, but I would just have such anxiety and aversion and flip flopping feelings. And I just, I felt crazy. And I thought, hmm. man, what's, you know, I, I'd i love, I'd be so interested in a woman, pursue her, pursue her. And then she'd say, okay. And then we'd sleep together. And then, you know, two weeks into it, I'd be like, ah, I got to get out of here. And I, and I, you know, you can run that pattern a few times and, and blame the woman, right? It's like, well, she was this, or she wasn't enough of that. But after you do that many, many times, you, you got to start pointing the finger at yourself <laughs> and say, okay, what's going on here? And, uh, so that that's led to the men's group and that, you know, the very first meeting I had with the facilitator of that group, a man named uh, Elliot Geller, he's a social worker here in Portland, Oregon, and just a brilliant man. And, uh, we, I, I was kind of a, he interviewed me and I was accepted into the group. And he's like, wait, before you go, and he went to his bookshelf and he pulled out this book. He's like, you're going to want to read this book. And it was a book called No More Mr. Nice Guy by mm-hmm. uh, Robert Glover. And uh, that's a fantastic book all about, you know, niceness as well. And I read that and that was a very, uh, that was probably a theme in the group, you know, among, among several, but just how do you identify what you want? How do you, you know, working through shame? around wanting things uh, being able to ask for what you want and face the the fear of rejection or the the fear of that you're bad um becoming well as i talk about the book becoming more selfish because people that are historically very pleasing and nice really see themselves as they're, they're very self um invalidating they 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 give of themselves to the point of Dismissing their own needs and they think that's a virtue. They think that's necessary. And so they're, and I was, and I was definitely in this camp too. Our sense of what's, you know, selfish or not is, is not calibrated properly. So then acting in your own healthy self interest, doing things that are actually good for you and for others because you're being clear about what you want and what you don't want feels bad, Hmm. feels selfish pursuing. What you know you need to in your life, you know, pursuing the interests that you're into, the the hobbies, the passion, the career, the lifestyle, everything, like creating the life that you want, people can feel selfish because they're like, it's got to be hurting somebody. You know, if somebody doesn't like it or even, even if other people uh, support you, there can still be this selfishness feeling. So uh, I worked through a lot of that in the men's group, at least to be able to get into relationships. And then, you know, the work, I got it. So then I was able to continue doing the work even outside of that context. I'd say that was the probably the biggest impact and then the second mm-hmm. was um actually with my wife Candace, she taught uh, workshops. There's a, a community here in Portland and it was called Solsara and they they led evening and then weekend workshops that were focused on authenticity, uh communication, just getting a lot more aware of yourself, a lot more able to uh, work through the fear of being real and direct, and all that stuff. So it was a perfect uh, companion to what I was doing in the men's group, and so those those environments gave me a a container to practice, not just to learn intellectually, but to actually test it out and work through some of the the fears real time. Mm, wonderful, yeah. I I've heard about that book. Um,
0: no one missed the nice guy, but I haven't read it. I kind of felt like your book. Kind of would have covered all of that anyway. Um, so I didn't really feel the need, but, um, uh, I might, might look into that as some supplemental reading. Um, one of the, the, the points you just made and I read in your story in, in Not Nice, when you gave, uh, examples of dating and, uh, how you, how you weren't satisfied, even though you built up some level of confidence. I too went on this journey of, not having women in my life and then actively seeking to learn how to express myself better and socialize better. And uh, I met a few guys in these communities where they were all trying to do the same thing. And I, and I actually saw that while I learned a lot from these communities of, of people trying to express themselves better and grow in confidence, there was this shadow side of people almost like, pretending to be authentic or sort of like putting on a persona of of setting boundaries um that wasn't really them so when it comes to changing and transforming and being more authentic do you think there's a trap of faking it faking authenticity have you ever Hmm. seen that in your clients
1: i'm curious can you tell me more about what you saw that that made it seem um, like more of a show or not quite actually them expressing themselves authentically
0: yeah so we would there were some some truly great teachers you know um that were truly authentic and truly confident and and they were like role models to me and other members of the group and they would um they in these videos on youtube primarily they would um say you know don't care what other people think for example like little memes like this without too much like they they weren't like there wasn't a um a one-on-one mentorship more just like video-based learning And they would say things like "don't care what people think," and then I would see guys in the group that would almost like use this as a way to not check in with other people's feelings.
1: Ah, sure. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah. That's the um. It's it's easy to go. Think about like a pendulum, right? If the pendulum Mm. has been pulled far to the nice side, the passive side, there, and you know, meanwhile accumulating resentment, you get some permission to let that thing go. And there's kind of two responses. Uh, some people, and I definitely got this with the, the book and some reviews and comments and emails we get. Some people like just entrench even further on the nice side of the pendulum. And they're like, how dare you say that, you know, selfishness is good. You're an awful human. <laughs> and then and then you got other people who are like, oh, oh okay, I'm going to let this thing fly. And the pendulum swings far to the other side. And then it's kind of like, hey, I can say whatever I want. You know, I'm being authentic now. And yes, there's a there's definitely a... A bit of a maybe immaturity or messiness there that i think over time can hopefully level out like that's a phase the person goes through but that's where the awareness uh becomes very key to see like honesty or authenticity is not uh this very simplistic thing of i say whatever i want whenever i want to whoever i want however i want and they Mm -hmm. they have to learn how to take it like you know, we want to have a level of sophistication of how do I, like, I am in a matrix of relationships. How do I advocate for what I want? How do I be curious about what other people want? How do I know how to communicate? How do I take even more responsibility? And this is kind of higher level stuff because in the book, it's saying, Hey, don't take so much responsibility for other people's feelings, right? That's important. Mm. But then Once you get more and more sophisticated, if you want to have really high quality relationships professionally, personally, romantic life, you got to just always be improving your self awareness, your communication abilities. And so you want to say, hmm, you know, I'm not, I don't have to take responsibility for this other person's feelings. It's important for me to express what's happening for me. And I don't want to inhibit that truth to uh, make sure they don't feel uncomfortable. But at the same time, when I'm expressing my truth, what's the most is a kind and skillful way to express while mm. at the same time feeling true. you know, and and that's where it gets you can get really refined in your language. And you know, do you frame it as, you know when when you do this thing, it's really annoys me, And that's one level of truth. But as you get more skillful, you might say, when when you do that thing, I notice inside, I feel uh, tense, and I'm not sure why I feel tense yet, but I notice I don't like that, and it makes me want to retreat. And you're saying the same thing kind of, but it's, it's much more nuanced, much more self-aware. And, you know, you can start to see how you're, you're, as you get better and better, your communication is better and better received. And then you're able to start having you're about to say things that other people might always avoid, but you're able to do it more skillfully. And so to me, I think we want to not just stop at, I have permission to say whatever I want. You know, that's, mm. there, there's a higher level of, I want to master communication and relationships and that's, I think, where maybe you're seeing some of that discrepancy in that group.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I love that answer. I, I see this as a, as a, as a lifetime journey, you know, continuous refinement and, and growing and peeling back the layers of authenticity. Um, and you just brought up a, a quote that I love in, in my mind from the Stoic philosopher Epictetus, who said that the unwise person blames others for their misfortune the stoic in training blames themselves for their misfortune and then the wise person doesn't feel the need to blame himself or others but simply like observes and and sees the kind of reality of the situation and then just course corrects mm. um hmm. that's like continuous refinement i love that uh, on the on the topic of of stoicism i'm a, i'm a big fan of stoicism are you familiar with stoicism um at all? Have you looked into it? A lot of people seem to say that Stoicism has helped them um, in sort of letting go of things they can't control and things like that.
1: Sure. I I would say that I'm a, a beginner and that I've maybe listened to some basic things, have a few of the key ideas, but I, I have mm-hmm. not made a study of it, I would say. Gotcha. Well,
0: the Stoics, I mean, everyone has a different um, idea about anger and the Stoics tended to be they didn't have much good to say about anger. I'm just curious what your thoughts are on feelings of anger and expressing anger.
1: Yeah, that's a that's a great question, and it makes me also think about uh, Buddhism and this idea of, and maybe the Stoics are in this place too. Uh, hmm. Of well, I'm not sure where the Stoics are because I don't know it that well. But <laughs> let, let me give let me give some th- thoughts on anger. Is that for most People, not even nice people, just a lot of people, anger is a maligned emotion. It's like an undesirable emotion. It's a bad, you know, people say, I'm feeling bad. It means angry. And, it, you mm-hmm. know, and it makes sense because it can be corrosive. Um, when we're angry, we might want to say things that hurt other people, that damage relationships. We, um, you know, we're resistant to people or situations. We can get, uh, we can have consequences from that anger. So it makes sense that we are uh, kind of wary of it and don't like it. Um, however, it is a reoccurring part of human experience to feel that emotion. And uh, it's possible to become more self-aware and to do more inner work to release whatever triggers are creating that anger, whether it's we, we want something and we're resisting that we're not having it, um, some story like we were disrespected. I mean, I think it's always really good to investigate anger. However, this is especially important for nice people is we can become experts at kind of trying to think our way out of anger and uh, have reasons why we shouldn't be angry I shouldn't be angry about that that's unreasonable I should just let it go you know I mean come on I should be more empathic I should just be a little more forgiving here and and the problem that I've seen is that it's not not like we're fully self-aware we've identified the anger we've Discover the root, we let go of an attachment, and then boom, we're at peace. It's more like we try to talk ourselves out of it and then just smash the whole thing down under the rug. And I've seen this again and again. And so what happens is there's like, no, I'm not upset about that thing. I wanted to give that. That's the story. But underneath, hmm. there's a part inside of us that is upset. That's like, no, I didn't want to give that damn thing. I wanted that for me. And so I think we actually want to work with that anger a lot more consciously. And this is what Carl Jung would talk about as the shadow is like, we want to consciously turn towards that regularly and just hear it out Hear Well, you know what is part of us is upset about this and upset about that and is blaming about this and blaming about that. And when we can hear it and we can contain it and we can work with it inside of ourselves, uh, then we're not repressing a lot. And when we repress it, it tends to manifest as more niceness, more anxiety and also physical problems and all kinds of weird symptoms that we can get. So I'm a big fan of taking the time to really let ourselves feel the anger. And most nice people, myself included, even this, even when no one's around, just letting yourself feel angry about a situation was not allowed. It had to be mm. justified. It's bad. It's wrong. It's dangerous. What if you explode? You know, you just need to keep it all under wraps. And I, I disagree with that. I think creating space and time to really feel the anger, knowing, you know, that doesn't mean you're going to go pick up the phone and yell at somebody. It just means you're going to, you're going to feel it. And then when it's time to communicate, then you can, because you've been with it some, you can communicate with more assertiveness, more directness. And actually a little bit of anger is useful in communication. Because you can, I describe this in the book, it's like the anger is the raw fuel, it's just the the fire or the the, the material that's burning. And then the fire, you know, runs through the network of tubes and spins the turbine and then out of your mouth comes the more refined form of power. Hmm. And that is, you know, you can say, let's say someone keeps interrupting you and, you know, nice people, first of all, never confront, but if we do, it's going to be like, um, I don't you know, I'm going to be, I'm going to be very peaceable, peaceful and <laughs> assertive, but I have no teeth, you know, I'm like, Hey, I, I, when you, I don't appreciate when you, um, interrupt me in the meetings and we put on this <laughs> strangely soft voice tone so that they don't feel threatened, you know, versus saying it's just still respectful, but it's got more force. Like, let's say you feel the anger and inside you're like, how dare that person interrupt me, you know? And then, so when mm. you say, you're like, Hol, hold on a second, hold on a second. I'm, I'm not done. I don't appreciate you jumping in here. Now, there's mm-hmm. like a little bit of power behind what you say, and and now you can get through to the other person a little bit more, especially if they're kind of trying to run over you in their conversation. So, I think there's some there's some use for anger when we can uh, communicate, it, bring it, give it to the fuel to the assertiveness.
0: I love that. Yeah. I think, to me, that just sounds intuitively so healthy, um, that, that way of kind of harnessing anger, making use out of it, and also giving yourself, like the, I think the anger is only really destructive if you, if you kind of like delude yourself that every angry thought is 100% correct. And then you go out into the world and seek revenge. But if you give yourself permission simply to feel the anger, then I think that's, that can be a beautiful thing. Um, you just reminded me of something. Uh, one of the dilemmas I used to have was when people were talking and talking and talking. About something that I wasn't interested in. <laughs> I would feel like stuck in these conversations. And, uh, in your book, you, you touch on this <laughs> and you give you, for the first time, I was like, Oh, it's actually okay to just like kind of tell them. <laughs> and, uh, that, that was a game changer. And, uh, I realized that after that, 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 um, yeah, I wasn't actually helping them by kind of listening to them. I'm being bored. It was actually good for them that I, I let them know that, you know, I had to cut the conversation short. So yeah, thanks for that. That was, that was really useful.
1: <laughs> yeah. What a, what a relief, huh? You don't yeah. have to be prisoner anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Polite prisoner of politeness.
0: Yes. Yeah. That's a good one. Uh, you just mentioned sh- the shadow from Carl Jung and, uh, I love the section in not nice on uh, shadow work and keeping a shadow journal. Could you explain what the shadow is and how we can integrate it and the usefulness of, of looking into it.
1: Sure. So we, we think of ourselves as one person, like I am Aziz and you are John, and it's actually, we're, we're a collection of these multiple parts. And so, uh, in any given situation, I is actually a, a mixture of different desires and drives and, you know, a simple example I like to use is part of me wants to eat the salad and part, you know, another part of me wants to get the cheeseburger and fries. And depending on what you ate that night, you, you know, uh, one part you use in charge versus another. And we also have a, a part of us that's kind of a collection of all the stuff that we were taught is not allowed, not acceptable, not right. AKA bad. The part that we sh- would be feel shame around or not want others to see. And this is a, uh, what goes into that part is based upon our culture, our larger culture, the country and ethnicity, ethnic group we're part of, um, religious groups, as well as our own family and, and peer groups and stuff when we were young. So we learned, you know, for example, uh, anger is bad. Don't ever show anger. Um, or we learned, you know, uh, the, what you like to watch is bad, you know, or cartoons mm. are bad or too much TV is bad or, you know, it could be a million and one things. Uh, but what happens is we get this big collection of off-limits stuff. And then what do we do with it? Well, most of us are like, well, I'm going to try to be the good part of me and not be that bad part. It's kind of like the angel or the devil on your shoulder. Mm. And what we're doing is we're consciously striving to be good, 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 good. And there's another part inside of us that's got all kinds of other feelings, though. You know, it's like I just want to have sex with the person. I don't want to be in a relationship with them, but that's <laughs> bad. So, but what, where where do those feelings go? It's not like you you they you've amputated them. So what happens is they just get pushed down out of our awareness, and they might bubble up, like maybe you feel this surge of sexual attraction for someone who's not your partner. But you're like, oh my goodness, that's, you know, that's threatening. So mm. oftentimes they won't, oftentimes they won't even come into our awareness. Like we'll have mechanisms to protect us from these bad feelings, quote unquote, bad feelings. And so this is problematic because nice people have super large Uh, bucket that goes in the shadow category you know like asking for what i want bad saying no to somebody bad and so we just have even more of a shadow to deal with and here's the thing that's fascinating about the shadow is we think we're staying in control by pushing it down actually the more we push it out of control carl jung says it becomes like an autonomous agent that starts to run on its own and starts to eventually be able to take control of us And you'll see this in, you know, small examples, like you're healthy, 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 healthy. And then all of a sudden you cannot stop yourself from like binging on ice cream. You know, just like, I can't, I can't Mm. do it. I can't stop anymore. It's like the shadow is just taken over and that's a, you know, maybe a light or benign example. But what about the example of someone who is repressing certain sexual energy, repressing, 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 and then they act it out in some sort of twisted or distorted way through molestation or something like that. So, Mm. um, the 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 what we wanted, it, the more we suppress it the more we keep it out of awareness the more uh, Carl Jung said it, it perverted it could become that doesn't mean like sexually perverted but it means like distorted and twisted and extreme and another example of shadow might be um we push feelings of dislike of a certain you know group out of awareness out of awareness out of awareness and all of a sudden it erupts in like hate and, you know, vengeance and all these things. So what we want to do is we want to gain control of, of ourselves and be able to direct how we want to behave and how we want to act and what we want to do and who we want to be in the world. And the way that we do that is kind of counterintuitive is that we actually turn towards the shadow, hence the shadow journal in the book. And we actually mm-hmm. become very curious. We actually want to suss out and explore like, what are all these Awful bad things inside of me. And it can be very uncomfortable. It's like, oh, I don't want to go in there. And I think one of our fears is, what am I going to discover? And what does that mean about me? And am I still a good person? And what if I go in there and, and then it gets control over me? And I always reassure people like, your best chance of it not getting control over you is you actually going into the room, you know, go down mm. into the basement, go open up all the boxes, turn on the lights, and say, what's down here? And yeah, oh God, I'm attracted to that person and I want to have sex with them, but they're not my wife. Okay great. You know, I, I want, I just wanted the money. I didn't care about the people. I just wanted the, I was selfish there. I I was angry. I wanted to punch that person in the face. All these things, if we can just notice them, feel them, acknowledge them, they pass over us like a, like a wave. And then we're back to how we want to choose from our values, from our higher self, from all that. And I feel like that's where the shadow journal is actually writing about it can be so helpful to give it that attention. And then we start to become more and more free and more and more powerful too. Mm. So when, when these kind of like
0: sort of, um, shameful thoughts come up, would you say like that's the, you want to try and catch them and then make a note of it and then sort of explore them in a journal? Is that the idea of the shadow journal?
1: Yes. Yeah. So if you notice something that comes up that makes you uncomfortable that you think, oh, I shouldn't feel that. I shouldn't have that. That's a great thing. And then maybe you can address it in that moment. But Maybe you're, I don't know, you're feeling something in a work meeting or whatever. You know, you're not going to be able to just make a note of it or mental or write it down. And then, yeah, you want to have some space and time because most of us are like, whew, I'm out of that situation. Now I can Hmm. forget about that. But we actually want to take the time to write and say, you know, what, what could be, what's bothering me here? What is, uh, what might I be angry about? What lustful thoughts might I have? And it's a strange thing at first people are like, why do you want to go into the bad? But it's not really bad. It's just hmm. energy. It's just a part of, it's actually part of our humanness. I mean, we're, we are animals. We're going to feel aggression and attraction and desire for dominance. And, um, you know, there's, a. Uh, what's his name? The creator of something called Spiral Dynamics. Are you familiar with that? Uh, is it Ken Wilber? Is, th- is that him? Oh, so Ken Wilber definitely you know writes about those a lot. I don't know if he was the originator, mm. but there's a, there's mm. like different levels of or stages of consciousness, and one of them is called the the green level, and right. it's a uh, you know kind of focused on equality and um, you know democracy and committee decision making and and uh, there's there's definitely like a um, A shadow side to the green meme that can be very harshly against anything in the shadow and it's like you got to be really nice and inclusive and all that stuff and so it's important that you know that that the um to grow we always want to keep being aware and turning towards the shadow rather than trying to push it down Hmm. yeah yeah that's huge that's huge um in,
0: i I think in spiritual circles this the the idea of shadow work seems to be becoming more and more popular. I think one of our most popular articles on high existence is all about Carl Jung's shadow and uh, how we can integrate it. I was really pleased to see you include that in the book. Um, one of the in my own journey, one of the big insights I had was for a long time I was so focused on self-improvement. As a way to kind of like, um, cope with symptoms of anxiety and, and these difficult feelings. And then I discovered sort of like trauma healing and like looking back into the past as opposed to just trying to cover up, um, like my wounds and trauma with like self optimization. Um, do you think that, uh, trauma healing, digging into the past is, is a, an important part of, um growing in confidence have you have you thought much about that
1: you know i'm sorry the internet just cut out for just a second there mm-hmm. and um you you said that you were um doing the the, the trauma work and could you repeat the last part of that question again yeah
0: so for for a long time i i had like difficult feelings of anxiety and mm. you know um, social anxiety and and just sort of like general like You know difficult emotions come up and and i always try to sort of handle them with self-optimization you know like going to the gym and trying to like be better and stronger and Mm -hmm. enhance myself and then a big breakthrough was like oh hang on a second maybe i should go back into my past and Mm. write about it and think about about that and sort of heal from some of the things that happened Mm -hmm. Uh, do you see that in with your clients as like an important thing in helping them to grow in confidence and authenticity
1: yeah, absolutely. I have a motto that I learned, or took on somewhere along the way many years ago. That was, uh, whatever, whatever works, and whatever it takes. And mm. this is, they're, they're, people can get into such uh, camps about you know what's the best. Well, you don't need any of that stuff. You don't need that childhood stuff. You just need to focus on you know your your distorted cognitions or you don't even need that. You just need to meditate. You don't need that. You just know. And there's like this (laughs) desire to exalt one approach and kind of devalue the others. And I'm like, but they all like whatever works, Let's, let's do everything that can, that can support. And I feel like it's, it's like two arms or two wings of the bird, right? There's like, um, yes, becoming more an effective human and being able to understand and how to work with our bodies and take action and achieve what we want. And that the optimizing part is extremely valuable. And there's major blocks to optimizing when we got these uh, like festering wounds in our psyche, in our emotional body. I mean, in our energy, it's just like, it's hard. Like I, the optimizing technique might not work when you have this part of you that is attacking you every morning when you wake up, which is actually the subject of my next book, which is coming out um, on uh, February 25th, uh, 2020, which is called On My Own Side. And it's sort of a follow-up to Not Nice because the biggest obstacle people have to being confident is their own self-doubt and self-criticism. And so when someone wakes up in the morning and this critic is right there in their face saying today's not going to go well, or you, you aren't going well in your life. You're just this, you're that all that date last night was so awful. And, and, and this is happening. Um, just hitting the gym and saying your affirmations is not an effective solution. It's like a, you're trying to barrel through. And so, yeah, then taking the time to do deeper healing, uh, looking at how you're not right with yourself, how you, you know, what, what is this anxiety? What, what am I scared of? And, and usually the fears, I mean, fears are fears of feelings. So like what feelings am I, don't I, do I not want to feel? And oftentimes those feelings are not necessarily from what's going to happen to you that day. The feelings Mm -hmm. are feelings from the past, you know, stuff you felt around your dad or stuff that you felt when your parents divorced or, and it's coming around. And you might think you're done with the past, but the past isn't done with you because there's more. And so I think, but at the same time, you know, and I, when I went to, I got trained in clinical psychology and learned how to do all different forms of psychotherapy, certain models of psychotherapy, I think were grossly ineffective at helping someone optimize their life now. So we're going to dig into the past for seven years. And I had clients like this that came to me. They'd done psychoanalysis for five or seven years, sometimes three times a week and And they came to me, and I'm like, "You can't start a conversation with a stranger like <laughs> this is a we got we got, we can solve this in a weekend like what what are you doing so I think both sides are are super important, and you know you get the optimal results when you are willing to do to do both to do anything mm. and everything
0: yeah, totally that that backs up my experience one hundred percent. I'm really looking forward to your new book, hopefully." um i'll get a chance to read it when it comes out and speak to you about it again in the future that would be really cool
1: yeah i would love that man
0: um so i'm mindful of your time i just want to ask you one final question um sort of like a hypothetical thought experiment if if you could go back as you are now to meet uh, the version of yourself when you were kind of struggling most with the you know the 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 being the nice guy I know that this journey is a big journey, and there's no you know, magic pill. But what would what would you what advice would you give yourself that would get the the ball rolling? That would have like an immediate hopeful shift for for that younger version of yourself.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm putting myself right back to the time before I discovered the men's group, before I learned about niceness. You know, and it was just kind of awash in it. And and that version of me really thought that there was something wrong with him. There's something wrong with me. And and I couldn't even put my finger on it. You know, I'd like worked on my confidence. I could talk to people better, but I just, and it was like, something's broken in me. I just can't have close relationships is what I thought. And so what I would tell that part, and I think that's so common when we're really stuck with an issue, and we don't know the solution yet. It's very easy to adopt a fixed mindset and think that we're just broken in some way or incapable or born this way. And that was the, that'd be the main thing I'd communicate to him. I'd say, Aziz, that is... That is not true. And to be frank, that's lazy. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, you know, it's like you're you're giving up. And and here's the thing. Every problem has a solution. And usually the solution is not some big fell swoop. It's just a series of small steps. And, and the biggest thing I want to impart to him is, did you know that creating the relationships that you want is just a series of very small skills? Mm-hmm. And when you accumulate enough of those skills, like being able to say no is a skill, being able to know what you want, in a certain situation is a skill. You develop it through practice, you get better at it. And if you learn just a handful of those skills, you'll be able to have a, a beautiful relationship that just is the best thing in your life that keeps getting better every year. Wow,
0: I love it. That's beautiful. And I also love the kind of uh, you're being lazy as kind of uh, um, kind of like a bit of like tough love.
1: Tough yeah. love, yeah. That's how I yeah. talk to that little guy. He's little, <laughs> he's the same size as me. <laughs>
0: That's that's amazing. <laughs> so where can people find out more about your upcoming book and uh, get in touch with you or just whatever you're working on?
1: Yeah. I mean, the best place to go to is draziz.com, D-R-A-Z-I-Z, draziz.com. And that'll take you to my main website where you'll find out about my newest book on my own side. You can find out about my YouTube channel. I have my own podcast on there called Shrink for the Shy Guy. Uh, my goal is to put out as many resources as I can for free to help people radically shift in their confidence. And then if people want to go further, I have live events, coaching, mastermind programs for people who are really serious about, you know, making this, not just a little improvement, but a a complete identity shift from held back or anxious or self-doubting or self-critical or nice to being their, their freest, boldest self. So drzeez.com is the best place to get started for that. Awesome. I love Shrink for the Shy Guy. I
0: I listened to that. I've binged quite a few episodes. (laughs) Nice. All right. Yeah. So uh, awesome. Okay. Well, thank you. And uh, hopefully we'll get to do this again soon. I love it. Appreciate it so
1: much. Thank you for having me.
0: I hope that you enjoyed that, took some value from it. A couple of quick things. If you can leave a rating for the podcast, wherever you're listening to it, that really helps new people find it. And I also love reading reviews. So let me know what you think about it. And if you want to go further and get access to all of my premium meditations and audio courses, Ask Me anything, workshops, etc., consider subscribing to Stoic Handbook Premium with a free trial, either directly within Apple Podcasts or over at stoichandbook.supercast.com. It's the same thing, just two different ways to access it. And I'll see you back here for the next episode of the Stoic Handbook Podcast.